Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. Today is, uh, this is, this is a fun message. Well, I, I think it is. You may not think it is. But I, I think it is, and I like it. And it's called, uh, it's called Dead Ringers. Um, Fifteen years ago or so, Bethany and I were in Savannah. And, you know, we're doing the touristy stuff because that's, you know, what you do in Savannah and you eat all the really good food and all of that stuff. And so we decided to go on a cemetery tour in Savannah. Now, it wasn't Bonaventure, one of the, you know, more famous ones, you know, like that. But it was just a, a cemetery tour there in, in Savannah. And we went on this tour. And, you know, they're taking us through the different graves. There's some, some people of note that are, are buried there. But she stopped, the tour got stopped at one particular grave, and she began telling us the story of the time back during the 1800s when scarlet fever just ravaged Savannah, and a lot of people died from it. And so there's lots of deaths and lots of burials, and a lot of the cemeteries are really full and have all these old graves. And then she said, then there was a flood, lots of rain. Came. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is it can raise the dead, so to speak, you know, brings the coffins to a float. And something happened, I don't know, but some of the coffins fell open and it looked like there were claw marks on the inside of the coffin. And she then proceeded to tell us that if you have scarlet fever, it can sometimes put you in such a comatose-like trance that people think you're dead. And, of course, medicine was not as advanced as it is now. And so that was just kind of the thought that these people are dead, they've got scarlet fever, they've died, let's bury them. And then, oops, the flood comes along, it's like, oh, we've been burying people alive. So we got to fix this. What do we do? How do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And somebody had the genius idea of, okay, we're going to bury them, but we're going to attach a string to them. Okay? And that string will come out of the coffin and up through the ground and... On, on top, where the, the, by the gravestone, will attach a bell. So that should you catch scarlet fever, should you go into this comatose trance and not be dead, and should you find yourself buried and then find yourself contained in a box that you can't get out of, you can think, well, no problem. I'll just let them know, and I'll start dinging the bell. Thus the name Dead Ringers. And so the bell would go off and say, hey, we got a dead ringer. And they'd go and they'd dig them up. Now then, I don't know if that story is true. If it's urban myth, there's other ways you can read about it, but that's my preferred way to think about dead ringers. Is that they would ring the bell, hey, I'm alive, and they'd come and they would dig them up and, and, and bring them back to life. Well, so I was thinking about this dead ringer thing, and that led to a, uh, to a Google search, and I came across this picture right here. This is... The Campbell family, this is Lyle W. Campbell, apparently he's still living, and it's kind of hard for you to tell in this picture, but uh, there's, a, there's a, just a little uh, snapshot picture of him here, and if you look closely, and I can show you this picture or post it later on, he is a switchboard operator. That was his career, apparently, and then right behind him you have a bell over his headstone, and engraved here it says, here lies a dead ringer. Here lies a dead ringer. Now then, I doubt very seriously that Mr. Campbell is afraid of being buried alive, but
but he really has a great sense of humor. He's this switchboard operator who when he dies, he's a dead ringer. He's given a new twist. He's given this new twist to the story, and so I love his sense of humor about this. But there's, there's other ways of, of thinking of dead ringers, okay? When I was growing up, and before I heard the Savannah story, before I ran across this photo, I always heard that, that dead ringer meant something looks just like something else, right? Who, who's familiar with that meaning of it? Yeah. And so I always got... You and your brother, man, y'all are dead ringers. You look just alike. My brother Micah and I, we were the closest in age. And so here's a picture of us in 1997. This is at his high school graduation. Okay. Uh, I am the one in, uh, on the left. He's the one on the right. And so people would say, you are dead ringers for one another. Now, then, neither one of us ever thought that. But everybody else seemed to think that, okay? Here's another one about a year later of us. Uh, I am uh, the better-looking one of the two up there. Uh, I'm the one on the, le on, the, on the left again. He's the one on the, on the right. And this was when we were in college, and I was in between ministries at this point. You know, I worked my way through school, working through churches. But at this particular time, for a short period of time, I was in between. And so, you know, he and I both got jobs waiting tables at IHOP, okay? And everybody would always say, man, you guys look just alike. And so we decided to test this theory out. So he would go and sit the people down. And then I would go and say, can I get you something to drink? And he would go and take them the water. And then I would go and take their order. Then he would go and take their food. And then I would go check on them and see if they needed anything. And then he would go check on them and see if they needed anything. And the people were absolutely oblivious to this, and then we would both go take them to check at the same time. And they were like, what? What's going on here? You know, they, they, were going, they thought they were going crazy, and they never, re even though, you know, we dressed basically the same, you know, white shirt, uh, black pants, and a tie, but, you know, the ties were different. But it was amazing that everybody thought we were the same. And they said, man, you guys are dead ringers for one another. I mean, you're the spitting image. You appear to be the same, but upon closer inspection, you realize that there's differences there. Does that make sense? Well, that's kind of what we want to talk about. That's kind of what we want to talk about this morning. Do you remember what it was like when you first became a Christian? You know? For some of us, that's a long time ago. Like I said, it, it's been 33 years for me. For, for some of you, it's been longer than that. Okay, but do you remember what that was like? Think back to that time and how excited you are. How on fire and, and active and, and, and passionate for Jesus you are. You know, if you run across Satan right in, in those early days, you know, you'd, you'd just choke the life out of him right there with your bare hands. But then life begins to take over, and just like we talked about last week, we can get distracted, right? We get distracted in our faith. Other things begin to take priority. We get busy with work. We get busy with school. We get busy with, with family and, and ball and all of these other things just kind of come in and kind of distract us from our focus. Well, we can, also, we can also become complacent. 
Okay, we can become lazy in our spiritual life to the point where, yeah, we're still kind of doing what we've always done. We still go to church, and we still sing the songs, and we still give our money. We might even go to, to outside the walls occasionally, but we're just sort of going through the motions. We, we look alive, but maybe feel dead on the inside. Today, that's what we're talking about, about what it really means to, to look like something that you're not. And that's the idea behind this, this dead ringers thing. In Acts chapter 20, there's a, just a, a really, really strange story that Luke tells. And it's not very long. It's just, you know, uh, you know five or six verses. And it's just odd that it's in here, but I think it makes a, a really, really good point. Paul is in a city called Troas, or you may know it as ancient Troy. But he's there, and he's visiting this church here for the last time, and so he's spending a night with them. So watch what happens. Uh, the, the scriptures, you can look there, we'll start in verse 7, but they'll be on the screen as well, and I'll make some comments along the way. Acts 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them since he was about to depart the next day. He kept on talking, kept on talking until, until midnight. Now, I love good preaching, okay? But till midnight, that's getting to be a lot of preaching, is it not? So, and he just, you know, he just kept on talking. I don't really appreciate Luke's bias toward preachers right here, okay? But he says, Luke, he just says he kept on on talking, uh, kept on talking until midnight. But we have to remember who this is. This is Paul, okay? And Paul is not going to see these people again. And I don't know if he knows this or not, but I think he probably suspects it. And he wants to pass on to them the things that he thinks are most important, just like Tommy just read for us at communion. What is most important, what is most vital, what is most significant to making sure they're able to stay alive during their, their walk of faith, okay? And so he's just giving them everything that he's got. Now then, they didn't gather at 10 o'clock like, like we do, okay? You know, because, you know, Sunday, you know, most people don't work on Sunday, but that's not the way it was in the first century, okay? That was a work day. So they usually gather around sunset or, or maybe around 6 p.m. But now 6 p.m. till midnight, that's still, that's a long long time right and Paul is preaching he's given them everything everything that he's got now then notice verse 8 there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we are where we were assembled I'm like, man, what, what? <laughs> that's weird why do we need to know that now tradition tells us that that Luke is you know a physician Okay, and he's very detail-oriented, so if you read his gospel and you read Acts so far, you know that, that details are kind of important to him, but you know, he's talking about this meeting with them, and he's all this preaching, and there's many lamps in the room. We think, well, what, what's going on? What's the purpose of that? It'd be like us describing our, our fun in the Sunday. You know, it was great worship. Had this really good message, and, and, and John Smith was, was uh, anointed as a shepherd in the food was great and the carpet was purple and we'd say what what we would 
miss everything else. And we'd say, what do you mean the carpet was purple? What does that have to do with anything? And that's kind of like what this statement about the lamps is. Why is he telling us this? Why does he give us this random detail? Well, one, they're upstairs. And two, they don't have electricity, so they have to light lamps, which means what? It's hot. Okay, it's hot in this upstairs room where the heat rises. Okay, and there's a lot of people that are crammed in there, and guess what? Paul is just droning on and on and on and on and on. Watch verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill, and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. Really don't like Luke's words. He does not like preaching. But this is what happens. Eutychus is tired. He's worked a full day. Now, and Eutychus is a, is a common servant's name. Okay? So, you know, we kind of think that's probably what he was. He's put in a full day doing whatever job it is he has, but he's dedicated to the church, and he's dedicated to his faith, and he wants to meet with them, and he wants to see Paul because he may not get a chance to see Paul again. And so he goes to the upper room, and Paul is just preaching his heart out, giving them everything he's got. And remember, they're upstairs, and it's hot, and the lamps are burning, and it says that Eutychus, Eutychus falls asleep as Paul kept on talking. Well, fortunately for you, we got some video of this scene. Check this out. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Yeah, and there he is. He's just in a deep sleep. Just a deep sleep. I mean, Paul is preaching, okay? Paul's preaching away, and Eutychus cannot stay awake. Now then, before you laugh too hard, you need to know some of you do this. Okay? Some of you, you know who you are. I'm not going to point you out, but you know who you are. And more importantly, I know who you are because I see you. Okay? Because from up here, you see everything. Okay? You see when somebody's sleeping, you see when somebody's messing with their neighbor or when they're doing something on their phone or when they're sticking gum under the bottom of the seat. You see everything from up here, okay? But you see especially when, when somebody falls asleep, okay? Now then, there's a warning from this text for those of you who sleep during the sermon, and it's found in the, next ver in the rest of this verse 9. When he was overcome with sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. So there's a warning in the text. Don't fall asleep during the sermon. This guy falls out the window. Can you imagine that? He's moving over to the window, okay, because, you know, it's hot, he's tired, he's sweaty, but he wants to hear what Paul says. But Paul's preaching away, as Luke says, and he's just tired, he's worn out. The day has caught up with him. He falls into this deep sleep and then falls out the window. Three stories. Three stories, and so they rush, they rush down to him. They rush down to him, and it says that he was picked up dead. 
Now then, that, that might possibly mean that he was actually dead, but it also could mean that it look, he kind of has the appearance of death, kind of looks like he's dead. Maybe he's not, but he looks like he was dead. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Now then, watch verse 10. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, do not be alarmed because he is alive. Now, now we don't have to necessarily think of this as a miracle. Paul doesn't call on the name of Jesus, and he doesn't do anything special. There's no anointing here. It just sounds like he's just sort of listening to see if he's breathing. He's alive. He calls out the news. And, you know, whether he's actually dead or just has the appearance of dead, it, it doesn't really matter. But the point is that, I mean, this is a pretty serious thing that's happened to this guy, Eutychus. Notice verse 11. After going upstairs, breaking the bread, and eating, <laughs> Paul talked a long time until dawn. You know what? Somebody falls out the window and kind of gets raised from the dead. They should be allowed to talk till dawn, okay? Let's just get that out there right now, okay? So if that ever happens here, you've got to be gracious with me and let me preach till dawn, okay? So they get him up and they go back in there and it's just, you know, you can imagine, okay, woo, that was okay. And Paul starts preaching again and he takes them all the way till dawn. But did you notice what they did? Did you notice that they went back up and what did they do? They broke bread. What day of the week is it by now? It's Monday. They're taking communion on a Monday. They've already broken bread once on the first day of the week. Here they are doing it again. But it reminds us of what we see in Scripture. As often as you come together, what? Break bread together. It's okay to think about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. It's okay to celebrate communion as often as we, as we come together. And so they do this. And then finally, verse 11. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, that's a weird story, is it not? That's one of the stranger stories in this entire book. Paul's preaching. Luke is not a fan. The guy needs a fan. Falls out the window. Looks like he's dead. Maybe he's not dead. They bring him back inside. They take communion a second time. And Paul preaches till dawn. I mean, it's totally chaos here in Troas, right? This is a weird story, but I think there's a really, really great point here. And it, it has to do with this word dead. In the Greek, the word is nekros. Now then, from there, that looks like, you know, vekpus. Okay? But nekros is the word. Nekros is the word. And, and, and it... It has a few different meanings, and here they are right here. The first is, you know, it can mean dead. Dead as in not living. Dead as a doornail. Graveyard dead, as Jerry Clower says. You know, it's just dead. When somebody dies, they're dead. That's necros. But then there's the second version, where they're considered dead. Remember Matthew 28? Resurrection day. The tomb, the guards. Jesus comes out, they're frightened, and it says what? The guards were as if they became like they were dead men. They weren't actually dead, but they were scared so bad, they kind of froze, fainted, and they looked like they were dead. And so I think that's kind of the, the one that's going on here with Eutychus. But then there's a third meaning to necros, and it's this. It's spiritually 
dead, without life, dead to a thing, or no longer devoted to, under the influence of a thing, dead in respect of fruitfulness, dead morally or spiritually, dead in alienation from God, subject to death, mortal, misery. It's, it's those immersed in worldly cares. That's what, the, the, what necros means in a spiritual sense. You see, as I, as I think about things, as I look around and I pay attention to my own life, I realize that there are many today who go through their Christian walk in a state of necrosis. They're not physically dead, but they're spiritually dead. And I know this because I've recognized this in my own life. You know what you call people like this? Dead ringers. They look like something, but they're actually not what they look like. Does that make sense? Jesus addresses a group of dead ringers in Scripture. In the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, Jesus addresses seven churches in Asia Minor. We've looked at some of those churches as we've gone through this text. And in Revelation chapter 3, he is writing or he is speaking to the church at Sardis. And this is what he says. He says, to the angel of the church of Sardis, Right, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but say that yellow part with me, but you are dead. You look like something, but you're not what you look like. That's a dead ringer, right? Look like something, but you're not. Now then, of all the seven churches, of all the seven churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation, Sardis is the only church that didn't really come under persecution of any type. Okay, They're the church that kind of just had it easy of all the other churches, and they were very prosperous on the outside. They have a reputation for having lots of external activity, but guess what? On the inside, they're devoid of life and they're devoid of power. That's why Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have this reputation for being alive, but you're not that at all. You are dead. Now then watch what he says right here. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. In other words, you've been weighed and you've been found Those are some serious words that Jesus lays out to the dead ringer church of Sardis. And I think that a lot of people go through their spiritual walk just like this. You know how I know this? Because I've done it. Okay? I know how to look like a Christian. Right? Don't you? We know the game, don't we? We know what it looks like. We can, you know, we can talk the talk. 
We can walk the walk. We can give our money. We can sing the songs. We can go to church. We can do the service projects. We can go down the slip and slides and everything else and be absolutely dead on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Think about this. I could hire an atheist to pose as a Christian and we might not ever know the difference. You ever thought about that? And there are a lot of people who claim the name of Christ. What they really are are dead wingers. They might look like it, but they're not it. This is what Jesus is telling the church at Sardis. Wake up. Come out of this state of, of necrosis, this, this spiritual death. So how do we know? How do we, how do we know if that is us? Well, fortunately, I've got a checklist. Okay, so here it is, and it's called Check Your Neck. Okay, you want to know if you have necrosis, here's how you check your neck, right here. Now, this isn't exhaustive, but I think it's pretty good. I am seldom touched by the communion and remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. Okay, and, and I've been there. I've sat through communion, passed the bread. Pass the juice. Oh, yeah, throw the, throw the plate in there, too, because we tie all those together. Just as if it's just one, one motion, one thing to do so we can move on to the sermon so the guy can preach on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But if you find yourself unmoved by the most important thing, the death, burial, and, 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 and the resurrection of Jesus... That's a pretty good sign you might have some necrosis going on. Second thing, it's been ages since I shed a tear over sin in my life. And, you know, maybe you're not moved to tears by it because maybe you're not the type that cries. You know, I don't cry a whole lot. But maybe you've not been concerned about sin in your life. You know, you've got stuff going on, and, and, and maybe people know what it is, and maybe they see it. Uh, but maybe it's one of those secret sins. And, you know, I think those are the worst kind. Because you can bury those and you can stuff those, okay? And that's what dead ringers do, right? On the outside, we look really good, but on the inside, and that's where all the garbage is. That's where all the, the, the rotten stuff is. And you know what? You know about it and you're aware of it, but guess what? You're unmoved by it. And so if you find yourself with that going on, and that's another symptom of necrosis. Here's another one. I switch off mentally when I realize that I've heard the message the call to worship or the communion text before. You know, that's a sign of, you know what, I've heard this before. I don't need to know this. I've, you know, I, I know that story. You know what, we're just a few months out from Christmas, believe that or not. And you know what we'll do? We'll pull, we're going to pull out the ancient story of the birth narratives, right? We're going to talk about Jesus' birth because guess what? That's when people think Jesus was born. So it makes sense to talk about that, right? But guess, you know, it's easy to go, oh, man, are we going to read that story again? Are we going to sing that song again? Are we going to, oh, we just did this. That might be a symptom of necrosis. Here's another. I've been a Christian for so long that I feel 
There isn't much more of significance that I need to learn. I can fall into that one real easy. Okay? I've been a Christian longer than some of you have been alive. Not many of you, but some. And, and, you know, I mean, this is what I do. I'm a professional Christian. I do this for a living. And it's easy to say, I know that stuff. That's, that's elementary. I don't need to do that. I don't need to think about, why do I need to think about the death, burial, and resurrection again? Let's focus on atonement theory and eschatology and all these big words. But what did Paul say was the most important thing? the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He said that above anything else is important. Are those other things important? Yes, absolutely. But you know what? Sometimes we can get so, you know what? I know all that. And you know what that means? And, and, and we've got so many teachers in here. When you, stop, when you stop studying, when you stop learning, what else do you stop doing? You stop growing, right? Those of you that are teachers, did you ever stop studying? Did you ever stop, you know, trying to get more and more knowledge? You don't. Because you recognize how important it is to stay current, to stay studying, to keep your mind active, your heart filled with these things. And this is what we have to do with our faith, okay? And so if you get to that point, there's another sign that you might have some necrosis going on. Here's another one. I am often resistant to hearing the criticism of someone younger in the faith convinced they have little to teach me. Who's this whimpersnapper think he is? What's this young buck going to teach me? What do you mean she's going to tell me something I've never heard before? It's easy to get arrogant, isn't it? Man. Grad school opened my eyes to that. Because I was... The fourth oldest in my cohort. By the time it ended, I was the second oldest. I didn't get older, just two moved on. I was the second oldest. Most of these people that I went to school with were in their 20s. Were millennials. You know, millennials, well, they catch a lot of flack, don't they? They catch a lot of flack. I had to work my tail off to keep up with those. I don't want to call them kids, with those people. They were so much smarter than me. And the only wise thing I knew to do was to not talk a lot of times and show that I didn't know as much as they did. And then it dawned on me, you know what? Who cares about this age thing? They see things differently from how I see things. Okay? And I was able to see things in new eyes, with, with new eyes, and learn something new. And... Uh, it was an incredible, incredible experience. I'm often bored during prayers. Maybe not bored, but maybe mind-wandering. Your mind ever do that? You know, I mentioned Wednesday night when I was a kid, there used to be this one particular person, and when he would get up to pray, I mean, my response was, oh, no, not him again. Because he, like Paul, would go on and on and on, and it was very very soft and very quiet, and he would just pray and pray and pray and pray. 
praying as a kid. I was like, stop it! Stop praying! But it's easy to get like that, isn't it? It's easy to let our minds wander, to be bored when we pray. A few more, here we go. I can't remember the last time I was so overjoyed by the truth of my salvation that I shouted to the Lord. We sing songs like, shout hallelujah. We sing songs, shout to the Lord. But do we just sing them or are we really overjoyed by the truth of our salvation? Maybe I'm just going through the motions. I do all the things I need to do. I got the outward stuff down, but inside, man, I'm just a mess. And then lastly, I'm too bored to even finish reading this checklist. I think we get everybody that way. That not got you with any others. We can get you with that one. Uh, and um, I'll try to remember to post these slides because I see several of you taking pictures of these. I'll try to remember to post these on the Facebook page later so you can have them. But these are just some of the symptoms of necrosis. And so if you notice these things, well, then maybe it's time to step back and to check your neck just a little bit. To say, do I really, am I, am I really just going through the motions? Do I look good on the outside, but on the inside I'm spiritually dead? Am, in reality, am I a dead ringer? Well, the thing is, the same word that Jesus spoke to the church at Sardis is the same word that applies to us today. Those of us suffering with necrosis it applies to those of us that are being something we're we're not you see and here's the thing about necrosis and i'm talking about looking good on the outside but not being good on the inside it kills your witness eventually okay it kills your witness because somebody is going to see through it and you know who is the best at seeing through stuff like that non-christians you ever notice that? They know how to cut through the bull, excuse my language. They know how to cut through that stuff quicker than anybody else. Right? They see through it. They know when we're faking it. They know when we're just going through the motions. And so Jesus' words to the church at Sardis is the same for us, especially if we're trying to make connections in our community. And it's this, wake up. If you are a dead ringer, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Okay? How do you do that? Three ways. Very simple. And it's what our parents told us when we were little. Stop, look, and listen. One, stop the ritual of your spiritual life. Now, before you run me out of here as a heretic, what I mean by that is if you're just going through the motions, and yeah, I, I, you know, okay, I go to church, and yeah, I give my money, and I sing the songs, and I do all this other stuff, and yeah, okay. But it's just another thing in a long list of other things you do. Stop. Stop going through the motions and look. Look around with fresh eyes. Re. Visit, or maybe visit really for the first time, what the death and the burial and the resurrection means. Discover for yourself, why is it that we take communion? Why do we break bread together? Why is it that we give our money? Surely it's just not so the guy can go on and on and on and on and on, right? Surely it's not just so we can keep the air conditioning going and the lights on and have a nice 
fancy building. Why do we give our money? Why do we pray? Why do we preach? Why, why can't I just have church all by myself every Sunday? Why is it important that we gather as a, as a group and, and, and talk together and encourage one another? You know? And so that's what you do. You stop, you look. Look with fresh eyes or maybe new eyes at your faith. Remember back to what it was like. Remember, and this is what Jesus said to another church, remember your first love. You remember that? Remember your first love. Stop, look, and then finally, listen. Listen for the voice of God every day. And here's the thing. God's voice, it's not going to be big, and it's not going to be booming. It's going to be the small, still voice. So that means we have to turn down the volume of everything else. Right? Your life is filled with activity. You can't hear God's voice. If it's rush, 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 and distraction after distraction after distraction, and commitment and commitment and commitment and commitment, commitment, it's hard to hear the voice of God. We have to stop, we have to look, we have to listen, we have to turn down the volume so that we can hear God and we can be, just like the psalmist said, be still and know that I am Remember when we did that a few years ago? On a Sunday morning? Remember when we took five minutes of silence? And that was tough for some people. Because we don't know how to be still. We don't know how to be silent. I think that not being able to do those things, I think those could also go on the check your neck list. There's something to this. And, you know, this is a weird, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny story. It's a strange story that, that Luke kind of puts in here, but I think it makes such, such a good point. And it's a reminder to us. It's a, it's, it's a word against being a dead ringer. Does that make sense? So check your neck. Wake up. Strengthen what remains but is about to die. Let's pray together.